Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Last week, the newly elected Coburg Council was sworn in. There was much pomp and circumstance as each member took their oath of office. Friends, family, and supporters were on hand to enjoy the moment. It was also significant as the new mayor, Lucas Cleveland, gave his inaugural speech outlining his path forward. Among the many thank yous, Cleveland provided a glimpse of his vision going forward. This time, it was no longer the promises of a campaign, but his actual agenda. You will hear on today's show from him about what he has learned and how some of his perspectives have already changed. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Mayor Lucas Cleveland of Coburg. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you very much, Robert. Really looking forward to today. What are some of the more memorable moments you've had since you first learned you had been elected? Um, That's a great question. I think to start with, I have to give credit where credit's due. Um, Right after the election, Mr. Henderson, the previous mayor, Uh, opened up the office of the mayor and took me under his wing, um, which was incredible of him. He made sure that I was aware of the ongoing issues. He walked me through his filing system. He showed me and gave me a detailed tour of the office. Um, It's unbelievable how uh, much work he put into ensuring that I had the tools necessary to really hit the ground running. And I would say any success that I've had in the first few weeks of me taking office can be directly linked to the to, to the groundwork that he put in to make sure that I have the files, the, the organization, the knowledge, and he's also given me his personal number so that I can call when I have questions. Um, so that was exceptionally memorable. Um, I would say the other real memorable moment would of course be when my son first got to visit me at the office and uh, he sat here for a few hours and um, we got to go over and he got to meet the different directors and it was it was a pretty incredible moment for me. You've said many times, including in your inaugural speech, that you are a quick learner. What have you learned since becoming mayor? That's a very open-ended question. Um, The amount of learning that has taken place in the last two weeks is incredible. I would say one of the more hopeful and positive things that I've learned in the last few weeks is when I was an outsider looking in and I had no experience with the town staff or Uh, the operations, I was under the impression that there was going to be a lot of heavy lifting in terms of taking the organization from where we were heading and putting it in a direction uh, for the future. And I was under the impression that we would be taking a long time to do that. Um, What I have learned uh, very quickly is that the previous council has done an exceptional job of a lot of that heavy lifting. And that as an outsider looking in, I didn't see how much progress has actually been made 
by the staff, by the previous council, by the different departments. And what I've now realized, what I've learned is that we're on the right path. The previous council did a lot of work to get this community, this department, the town staff on a path forward that was my intention. And so what I've learned now is that our job is to move forward on the path that the previous council has created. Um, that is so exciting that I'm already so much further ahead because of the hard work of so many other individuals that now it's just our job as the new council and to take those big steps forward in the new path and the new direction. You have an experienced council. Uh, all of them have had some form of past political involvement. How do you plan to leverage that knowledge going forward? Um, I would say we already are. And, and I think it's really important to, to acknowledge that. Um, whether it was the striking committee meetings that uh, Deputy Mayor Beatty and myself led, where we, we got to speak to all of the councillors, listening to them, learning from them, we're already leveraging that. Um, getting to talk to people like Brian Darling and, and Randy Barber and Miriam Matan, who all have very distinct viewpoints and really years and years of experience. Um, they are already leading the charge in a, in a lot of respects in terms of priorities we're looking at. Um, I'm getting a good update from previous councillors, including Deputy Mayor Beatty, uh, about initiatives that maybe sort of got stalled that we can start taking forward. So I don't think I need to do any of the leveraging. I, I think as we form a team and as we come together as a team, that experience is just going to filter into the team or without much effort. Uh, everyone on council wants the same thing. They want Coburg to be the best possible community it can be for all of its citizens. And while we might have difference of opinions, having that experience and that knowledge entering that team benefits all of us without much work. You're holding a special council meeting on Monday. In that meeting, you're going to be looking at the governance structure uh, and possibly getting rid of the coordinator system. That's the system where one councillor is in charge of a general area of public works, planning and development, emergency services, et cetera. Where do you stand on this? Oh, I, I am personally 100% supportive of this. The governance review was initiated in 2021 by the previous council. Um, that's a really important point because this isn't something that myself or the current council are pushing forward. This is something that was initiated by a previous council and it was, it was a clearly mandated need that we needed to review how we do government here. Um, and so the reason we've looked at uh, suspending the coordinator roles until such a time is kind of linked to what I spoke about in my campaign, which is teamwork, which is transparency and accountability. So in terms of the suspension of the coordinator roles until such time as a governance review comes, what that's going to allow, in my opinion, and in the opinion of sort of um, the staff, is less of a silo approach to government governance, everything will now be brought to the entirety of council through the council of the whole. There won't be a coordinator position per se, but th that means everything is coming directly to the council. And it's going to allow all councillors to be understood. And it's also going to give the public direct access to the council as an entire body. And I think that's going to, just to sort of think about that, 
it's really going to reduce the, the weight of bureaucracy as we move forward. Because it's my fundamental belief that if we're weighed down with the bureaucracy of procedure, oftentimes that results in a reduced service delivery. And so this is just one way we are turning to the experts about how we as a council can do our jobs better, how we can provide better quality of service to the community. And I didn't want to get into appointment of coordinator positions when we're going to be having a governance review in just a few months. It looks like it'll be January when that governance review comes out. So it didn't make sense in a lot of ways to appoint coordinators when we're going to have a review in two months. Let's let the council come together as a team. Let's hear everything as a team and let's move forward as a team to that governance review. I understand though that you will also be appointing though council members to various committees which has nothing to do with the coordinator structure. What role are you going to play? Are you going to be an ex officio member of any of these committees or are you going to be sitting on any of these committees? How does that work? Well, what's going to happen is we have uh, through the striking uh, committee, uh, Deputy Mayor and myself have spoken to every single member of our council. And what we did is in these meetings, we, we learned from our councillors where their interests lie. I also want to make it clear that the appointment to these various um, councils will be temporarily based on the governance review. We are mandated that we have to appoint certain committees right away. Uh, the service board, the audit committee, these are mandated appointments. And I can, I can share with you uh, the recommendations that the striking committee is putting forward to council. But I want to be very clear that this is a decision not by myself or the deputy mayor that will be made by the entirety of council moving forward. And so, yes, I will be sitting on several boards. Um, I will be sitting on the town of Coburg Holdings, Inc. Again, this is assuming the council approves this motion. Um, I will be most likely sitting on the Notham Industrial Park Board. I will most likely, oh, I will be sitting on the audit committee. And those will be the three that I will be looking to sit on. Now, traditionally, the mayor has sat on the police services board. Why did you choose not to sit on the police services board? Again, I, I, I want to be very clear. This is not a Lucas Cleveland choice or the mayor's choice. This is a choice that the council will have to make. Um, it was my recommendation um, that I not sit on the police services board. There's a few reasons for that. And I'm happy to get into a couple of them. Uh, one being in 2023, the Police Service Act is going to mandate um, inclusivity and diversity on its police services board. And I'd like to get a jump, a head start on that. Um, I think having another middle-aged uh, white man sitting on a police board isn't a good look. And so what I have done is I've asked uh, that Councillor Beatty, I'm sorry, sorry, Deputy Mayor Nicole Beatty, uh, be my representative on the board. I think she's going to bring a lot of um, diverse opinions, a, a different way of looking at things, and some inclusivity and diversity on that board. Uh, further, I, I felt that it was a bit of a conflict of interest of, for me to sit on the police services board. The police services board is the oversight of the police services and as such has to have an impartial and an unbiased opinion of how that job should be done. Uh, I am the son of a police officer. My grandfather was a police officer. I have three uncles, two aunts that are police officer. My sister is in the intelligence community. 
As such, I have a clear bias as to policing and maybe the way it should and shouldn't be done. And I felt that from an inclusivity, diversity, and also transparency uh, piece that it would be more important to have someone without that bias on that board. In your inauguration address, you talked about three pillars. I'd like to talk about these. The first is teamwork. Now, obviously, you want council, staff, and the public to collaborate. However, you narrowly won the election by 105 votes. That's not a resounding victory. How do you intend to build a bridge between yourself and those who did not vote for you in order to facilitate the teamwork you talk about as a major pillar? That's, that's a great question. I think the main way we're going to come, not combat, the way we're going to address that sort of division, let, let's call it what it is, there's a division. And the best way to address that division is through what I'm calling an open door policy. Um, it's a figure of speech and also a physical aspect. Uh, behind me, you can see there's the door to the mayor's office. It's been shut for about 12 to 15 years. It opens up directly into the office or into the um, lobby of Victoria Hall. I had staff open it. And every day when I'm holding office hours between 8.30 and 5, that door is open and it's open to the public. They don't have to go through staff. They don't have to go through. They can come and talk to the mayor and they have direct access to me. Further, there's an open door policy on the social media side of it. All of my social media accounts are there. I'm still responding to all of them, the comments. That's sort of two. The third policy that I'm looking at is I am extending a invitation. I've been reaching out to various people within the community who I know are uh, fervent supporters of Mr. Henderson. I've been reaching out to uh, community groups who uh, backed both publicly and privately Mr. Henderson. And I've been setting meetings with the public, specifically members of the public, who aren't necessarily my supporters. And I've been encouraging them into the office. Just yesterday, uh, we had almost seven uh, half hour sit downs with a variety of members of this community who vocally uh, supported Mr. Henderson. And I wanted them in here. We talk about being a lifelong learner. These are the people that I need to learn from. These are the people who we need to get on board if we're gonna be a team and that I have to spend extra time addressing to ensure they feel that their voices have a place to be heard. And so um, I think those ways are a good way to start by making sure I've got my ears to the ground to all members of this community. Because once people feel heard, they can be part of that team. The second pillar you mentioned is transparency and accountability. And you've alluded to it now a number of times in our conversation. But you mentioned specifically in your address that uh, budgets and projects were critical. Now, where, if anything, do you feel there is a need to be improvement? You talked both during your campaign and in your inaugural address about the need to follow up and be accountable. Can you describe how all of this is going to take place? Uh, of course I can. Um, let me break this down into sort of two ways that we're going to build accountability and transparency. As I've been meeting with staff, as we've been doing these long days and sort of getting our feet underneath us, um, I'm learning that the staff are eager to get more public input. The staff are actively working to build more engagement with the community. And so again, we, when I referred earlier to thinking where we were to where we had to get to, we already have this incredible staff here that are actively seeking more engagement. 
actively seeking more public uh, encouragement and in public say. And so one way we're gonna do that is by making sure our communication strategies are more accessible to more. We're gonna make sure that everything we're doing is talked about openly in the community. Everyone here wants to do the best job they can and we have nothing to hide. And I think it's on us to do a better job of making sure that information is easily accessible, that our website's more uh, user-friendly, that people can get access to information through variety of media channels. The other aspect of that is what we've already spoken to, and that's the governance review. I believe that as we make our government uh, more effective and efficient, that one of the most effective and efficient ways to move forward is to create a more transparent governance. And so the best way to move forward is to make sure everyone understands what we're doing. Governance review will allow that. There's going to be a, several recommendations, I'm sure coming down the pipeline, that are going to speak to this exact problem that you and I are talking about. And the way we structure our government, if we structure it in a way that is based around transparency, that's naturally going to happen as we move forward in the new way of governing. You seemed in your speech to try to lower expectations of the public. You talked about making mistakes and you talked about doing your best. Why are you so interested in putting this up front and does it instill confidence or does it diminish it? Huh. Interesting perspective. And I mean, you could look at it either way, Robert. I wouldn't say it's about reducing expectations. In fact, I think it's about changing expectations. I think it's about modifying the public's viewpoint of politicians and of the political process. As, I mean, I don't want to speak for all politicians. What I have found is that as a politician, you have to be cognizant of the public image and the trust of the public in you and in your team is a really important thing in the ability to get things done. The reality is, is that councillors, the mayor, the deputy mayor, and this governance, we're looking to change things. We're looking to make things more effective, make things more efficient and make things more transparent. But there's no 100% solution to how that's going to happen. And if we are constantly approaching change from a place of fear, and if we're fearful of the public pushback for making mistakes, it's going to naturally lead to a political process that is afraid of that change. And so I wouldn't say I'm bringing the public perception or the, the opinion or trying to reset it. What I'm trying to do is prepare them for a different style of governing a style of governing where we're not afraid to take big steps and be accountable for the mistakes to learn from. That's fascinating because I was going to read back to you something you said, and I'm quoting you now from your speech. I know we need to take calculated risks, sometimes on limited information, but I believe that it is what it will take to move projects and initiatives forward to prepare us for the future. That's your quote. It sounds to me that you're not afraid to go against the current of public opinion if it means pushing it forward. And part of it seems that you're recognizing that not everybody's going to be happy. Is that the message you were trying to send? Was I hearing that right or was it something different? 
I would have to agree with what you're hearing. And while that may not be politically uh, popular to say, I believe that any time you make a decision, and this is going back in my history, I don't know as a politician, but I can speak to as a, uh, a business person in the oil and gas sector and as a business owner, that any decision I've made in a position of leadership is usually met with some level of cynicism and criticism. Um, and that's expected. And the, what makes, in my opinion, strong leadership and good decision-making is having a faith that what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve comes from a place of honesty, integrity, and, and um, goodwill. And so what I'm doing when I say that is, again, we need to take risks. Nothing, any of these decisions, whether you're approaching sustainability, um, people experiencing homelessness, uh, development, any part of governance, we only have the information that we have at that moment. And these decisions can't continually be pushed down for the next council, for the next council, which means when we're making these important decisions, we have to be cognizant of the fact that there will always be pushback. No matter, even if 80% of the populace believe in what you're doing, you're still going to have a 20% pushback. And that means sometimes being unpopular in the short term because of the faith, confidence that you have in the team and in your mission to move forward. It, as I said, when, when we would institute environmental policy in oil and gas, they didn't like that. And there was some serious pushback from the oil and gas corporations. But pushing in the right direction because we knew that it was the right decision eventually turned out to be the right decision. And in 2008, when the government passed all of those environmental regulations, all of the oil rigs and the oil companies that had bought in to the unpopular decision all of a sudden were very, very popular. And sometimes being a leader means making unpopular decisions for the long term. Recently, a video was posted on social media showing Coburg bylaw enforcement officers removing individuals from the bus terminal. And also, there has been a, an initiative called the Northumberland Sleeping Cabin Collective, and there has also been a community-driven warming room that is opening. I know that housing and affordability and homelessness was part of your platform when you were on the campaign trail. I would like to know how you intend to go forward, because the last time if we go back to the summer and these issues came before council about creating an encampment for the unsheltered in Coburg, um, there was a lot of bylaws. There was a lot of bureaucracy that sort of got in the way. With all of this going on in the background right now, how do you as mayor now feel about these initiatives and what's going on and going forward? Well, Robert, um, I'll be very clear on that one. This morning, I actually met with Deputy Mayor Beatty and the group responsible for the Coburg Housing, uh, sorry, the, the Coburg Sleeping Cabin Collective. Um, I've also since been uh, being sworn in, have had meetings with a variety of the groups. Cornerstone, uh, I got off the phone this afternoon with Holly from Transition House, speaking with Habitat for Humanity. We've already had a few meetings with them. Um, it wasn't just uh, talk about supporting housing initiatives. Um, the reality is I want to be very poignant and clear here. It is my full position 
that anything to do with social service delivery is the primary responsibility of the county council. Social services are to be administered by the county council. There is documentation, there is precedent, there are bylaws that clearly lay this out. And so what my uh, intention or what my hope is that as Coburg Council, we work together to come up with a strategy that will help me advocate on behalf of these groups at the county. I am in full support of all of these initiatives. I just, as now the mayor, have to ensure that Coburg, Coburg Council, the municipality and the corporation of the town of Coburg are also protected in these initiatives. So when we speak about the Sleeping Cabin Collective, I want this group to succeed. I want to see what this group can do. But this group has to, and they're doing a spectacular job of it, take this and run on their own. This is not a town and Sleeping Cobra Collective partnership. This is an organization who may need some support from the town, but are a distinct and separate entity from the town. It is not the business of the town of Coburg or the corporation of Coburg to deal with the administration of social services. And so any uh, messaging counter to that needs to be redirected to the county. And as you said, you are going to sit on county council and it leads beautifully into my next question because I wanted to ask you, what are your expectations going into county uh, council as Coburg's representative? What are gonna be the issues that you're gonna be pushing hard for once you get up there and around the table? Perfect, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't get sworn in until the 14th. So I, I'm excited about that. Um, but in terms of what I'd like to deal with, I've already put in my requests for standing committees. So I've requested that I will sit on the uh, Economic Development Standing Committee and the Finance Committee. Uh, very similar to what I want to do here in Coburg, which is to understand where the money's going, uh, how it's being spent, et cetera, along that one. Uh, in terms of what I'm going to do at County Council, I look to work with the team at the county to ensure that gaps in service, such as the one we're currently experiencing with the warming room, don't happen in the future. I can't go back and fix the past. I can't go back and change decisions that were made. Is there a gap in service right now? There is. And that's why the community has had to step up and why they have created a community-led warming room until the time that the transition house starts on the 5th. I'm in touch with various advocates in this community about the future of these kind of programs and how we can go to county and ensure that gaps in service don't happen in the future how we can make sure that the bar of entry to these social services is at a place where the majority of members of this community can access those services. There are a number of things we can do. And what I'm actually going to be doing is looking to bring in um, all of these groups to have a roundtable discussion with me well before I become a member of County Council. I wanna hear from the individual organizations how I can be their champion at County Council. And I want a united team of all of the organizations, going back to that teamwork piece, right, Robert? We need to form a team here. We need to form a team within Coburg. And part of that team is going to be Coburg Council. 
and part of that team is going to be people experiencing homelessness and part of that team is going to be the different service delivery models and different service delivery agencies all coming together to a united front of what we're going to try and achieve moving forward. Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate it. That was Lucas Cleveland, the Mayor of Coburg. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.